you heard my homily from last week, you know that my theme for the Sundays throughout Advent is the theme of prayer. Prayer is the best and most important way that we as Christians and Catholics can prepare for the arrival of Jesus at, Christian, at Christmas. And so I want to focus the result on today's second reading, Paul's letter to the Philippians, because the end of it, we see Paul's prayer, specific prayer for the people in the church of Philippi. And this is an example of what we call intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is a type of petition. Petition, of course, asking God for something. But intercessory prayer is where we pray for someone else. We intercede to God on their behalf. He is interceding on behalf of the people of Philippi to God for these graces and blessings that he desires them to have. And so last week we talked about prayer and the need to have time for prayer, the need for silence, and prayer is petition and asking the Lord for his mercy. Today I want to spend some time again getting very practical, but looking specifically at intercession or intercessory prayer, when we pray for others or pray for the needs of the church. And unlike last week where I drew primarily from Ratzinger, today I want to draw from the great doctor of the church, St. Therese of Lisieux, who has so much to teach us about the reality of prayer, specifically intercessory prayer. And so we'll begin with this. Uh, as a priest, you might imagine people come to me all the time asking for prayers. For They do well on a test. They ask for prayers for their relative who has cancer. People, if I go to a football game, ask me to pray for the Saints or LSU or UL or whatever. People are always asking priests to pray, to intercede to God on behalf of them. And so I realize that it's a lot for me to remember. Some, of course, stand out, but if I tell you I'm going to pray for you, sometimes I can't remember, well, what's the name, what's the intention? And so at the beginning of my priesthood, I used to write it all down, a little journal, a little notebook, and once I finished praying for that person or the prayer was answered, I'd scratch it off. That was too much work. I just keep getting confused. So what I did is I went to an expert. I went to one of the Carmelite sisters that I know, and I said, sister, what do I do? I, I want to pray for these people, but I can't remember who they are and what their requests are. And she told me to look to St. Therese, because St. Therese had the same problem. As a Carmelite, people are always, ask, were always asking her and the sisters to pray for this or that intention. And she had the same problem. She was just too many intentions. She couldn't remember them all. And so she had this insight in reading scripture, I believe it was the Song of Songs, whenever the author says to the Lord to draw me, draw me to yourself. And she says that she would pray that, to ask Jesus, Jesus, draw me because in doing so, he would also draw the souls that she loves. When Jesus would pull her and draw her, everyone else she loved, everyone else that she wanted to intercede for would come along with her. Of course, she would still pray for certain intentions, and we should too. This is probably the most effective way for us to 
do this intercessory prayer to say, Lord, draw me. And knowing the Lord and drawing us and pulling us to himself, we're going to draw everyone else that we love, everyone else that we have promised to pray for. The second issue is one that comes up in prayer in general, but specifically here for intercessory prayer. What about distractions? So we're going to sit down and we're going to have our time where we're going to intercede on behalf of these people or those people. We're going to say, Lord, draw me, or we're going to have our list of prayers. It's so easy to get distracted for our mind to wander off. As you probably heard me say, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Don't freak out, because prayer is not primarily in the head. It's not a thought exercise, but it's in the heart. What matters is that you're present there, and the Lord is willing to take you in whatever state you're in. He sees your goodwill, your desire to please him, and your desire to pray. But we still do get distractions, and it can be very unsettling. And so Therese talks about this too. This is what makes her such a great saint. She's so very practical when it comes to the spiritual life. And so what does she teach us about distractions in prayer? She admits, I also have many distractions. But as soon as I am aware of them, I pray for those people, the thought of whom is defer, diverting my attention. That's how she says that she reaps benefits even from the distractions. So she might be praying and think of some random thought or think of her parents. Well, she's going to pray for that. She could think of something she heard about, distraction. She's going to pray for that. In the same way, we can do it. If you're sitting there praying, tempted maybe to think about the New Orleans Saints, well, then pray for Drew Brees. You're thinking about the person at work who gets on your nerves. Well, pray for that person. You're thinking about all the errands that you have to run. Well, think about the people over there at Costco who you're going to encounter. Allow those distractions to be points for intercessory prayer for all of those people. So we can use even these struggles, if we're very creative, to provide intercession for people maybe who needs it. Who needs it. And then third and finally, if we look at St. Paul, the last part where he talks about what is the specific prayer for the Philippians. The line before he says, God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus. What drives Paul's prayer? What animates his prayer? He's not praying for these people just because he has to or it's his obligation. He's praying for them because he loves them. He has that affection, the same affection for them that Jesus does. It is his love for the people that animates his prayer, that, give it, that gives it power, that impels the words to come out of his mouth because they are first planted in his heart. And so this is what is so important from what I said last week. Prayer is not a bunch of words. Prayer can be silent. Prayer is not about the head, but it is about the heart. And that we can pray for others, or the true root of our prayer comes from our heart. In fact, the Catechism quotes St. Therese of Lisieux in trying to define prayer. There's this famous quote where Therese says that prayer is primarily a surge of the heart. 
I don't know what the French word is, but you could translate it. I've seen as an outburst or this explosion of the heart. That's something very, very simple. You don't need a bunch of words. You don't need to recite different things. It's that surge of the heart, the surge of love for God and for the people in our lives whom we love. So taking that, we can imagine if we go to prayer to intercede, we can think of that person we love, a spouse, a child, a friend, a relative. And when we think of them, what happens? We feel that surge of love. We feel that, that, that feeling that you really love and care about that person. Well, that's a prayer. That is probably a much better prayer than anything specifically you can say to offer up that surge for those different individuals, the, the outburst of the heart. In that outburst, there are so many words and intentions present there that you can never speak from your own mouth or maybe even put together in your own mind. It's the surge of the heart that is offered up that encompasses everything. In fact, I think that in the surge of the heart for the people that we love is the most powerful intercession that we as Christians and Catholics can engage in. So hopefully these three points offer some very practical ways of engaging intercessory prayer, and hopefully we can put it into practice as we continue to prepare for Christmas. But I do want to close on one note. Of course, we all have the obligation to pray. Lay people pray and intercede for others. Specifically, I, as a Catholic priest, have the obligation to pray and intercede on behalf of the people I love in my congregation. And religious sisters are also praying for the people, maybe in the schools, the hospitals, uh, to whom they minister. But there's a certain subset of people in the church whose whole entire life is dedicated to intercessory prayer and to praying. And these are the cloistered nuns, and the cloistered monks. Many of them take vows of silence. You don't see them, you don't hear them, they're not in public, but they dedicate their entire lives to prayer and intercession. We're blessed to have that monastery of Carmelites right down there off of Carmel Avenue. All they do is offer prayers for people in the world, for you and for me. And so it's something that we don't see we often take for granted so much activity in the world, the blessings that we have in our lives, the effectiveness of a priest, the, the ability for us to change and evangelize. I think in the next life when we get to see Jesus face to face, we're going to see how the prayers of these intercessors, these hidden contemplatives, have really given life to everything in the church. And so as much as I want to encourage and we need to pray for vocations to the priesthood and religious life, it's very, very important that we pray for that rarest of vocations. The Lord would call and people could respond to lives of contemplation, of intercession, hidden lives, praying for the church and the world. Amen.